Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett, and I'm so glad that you're joining us today because what I'm talking about today is a very important subject. I'm talking about what is sacred. And I want you to know there is a sacredness to a whole lot of things in our world, but it seems like they are constantly changing. Now, something that is genuinely sacred never changes. The Bible is sacred. Uh, Baptism is sacred. The Lord's table is sacred. There's a lot of things in life that are sacred. But I think the most sacred thing that causes a lot of controversy in our world today is the sanctity or the sacredness of life. And so today and tomorrow, I want to talk to you about the subject of why am I pro-life? And why should every believer be pro-life? And it comes back to this matter of what is sacred versus what is not sacred. As a matter of fact, even though attendance in churches in America seems to be declining, now I'm not sure that it is, but it appears that fewer people are embracing Christianity. But I think that when we look at the overall subject of sacredness and spirituality, I think there's an interest in it, and I think part of the problem is, as we have been trying to share the gospel, we haven't done it with a lot of compelling reason as to why we should have this hope that lives within us. And to add to that, our world has really changed what is sacred versus what is not sacred. Uh, In other words, we've gone down the path of saying certain things are right, and then we redefine what is right and redefine what is wrong. But we are still on this pilgrimage, I guess you could say, to find what is sacred. And here's what research has shown us. There is a noticeable decline in what we would call organized religion. But religious pilgrimages are more popular than ever. At the first International Congress of Tourism, and uh, they had a research that was done through the United Nations, and they released a study where they found that one in three tourists worldwide are on a pilgrimage and they're going to find something sacred. That means every year, 330 million people are tourists traveling for the purpose of a pilgrimage to find something sacred. And this pilgrimage is not merely to find themselves, but it's to find a spiritual experience. In an age of doubt and shifting beliefs, people are no longer willing to blindly accept the beliefs of their ancestors. So they are insisting, instead, on choosing their own beliefs. And so they take a pilgrimage so that they can find what would be a central part of their lives. Now, the rise of this uh, being on a spiritual journey is taking over the world. It's not just something that is happening in the United States. Uh, As I said, 330 million people a year are taking a trip as a tourist for the purpose of trying to find something that is sacred. Whether they're making a trip to Mecca, whether they're going to the Holy Land uh, or some other place, whether they're to experience great cathedrals that are built across the world, they're taking this journey and they're trying to put something physical to what they are feeling within themselves. Now, the sanctity of life simply means all human life is sacred. All human life is set apart for a special reason. You know, when you think about sacredness, sacredness is not a reflection of the goodness or the holiness of man because we all are sinful. Sacredness reflects the origin of man because we were created in the image of God. 
Now, there's a transition where we no longer recognize, many people don't recognize, the sanctity of life. As a matter of fact, that is one of the signs that we are in the last days. Look what Paul said to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.2. He says, mark this, in the end times, in the last days, there will be terrible times. What's going to happen? People are going to love themselves and their money. They're going to be boastful. They're going to be prideful. They're going to be scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, and they will consider nothing sacred. Did you get that last phrase in verse number two? They will consider nothing sacred. Paul also said in 1 Timothy 1.9, for the law was not intended for people who do what is right. It is for people who are lawless, those who are rebellious, those who are ungodly, those who are sinful, who consider nothing sacred or defile what is holy, who kill their father or their mother or commit murders. So here we discover that Paul is driving home the point. In the last days, nothing becomes sacred or nothing is observed as sacred. Now, I would say with the exception of believers, because we understand certain things are sacred, whether or not our culture adheres to the sacredness of certain things or not. And I want to give you just a couple things before we dive too deep into the subject of what is sacred. Here's the first one. Sex and marriage is sacred. Genesis 2.24 says, this is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. So here we discover way back over 5,000 years ago, Moses records what happens when a man gets married. He leaves his father and mother. Now this is written about Adam. And you say, well, Adam never left his mother and father. Adam was created by God. He wasn't born in the normal sense that the rest of us have been born. But you see, God is setting up a principle here. God is wanting future generations to know this sex and marriage is so sacred that when you are ready to get married to somebody, he says, you leave your father and your mother, talking about a man, and he's united to his wife and two become one. There's a sacred union that takes place. And this sacred union is what holds this marriage together. Now, if I had a piece of tape, let's say I had a piece of duct tape, and I stick it here on the table where I'm sitting, and then I rip that tape right off of that table, and then I put it back onto that table, something's going to happen to the stickiness of that tape. The more I take it off the table, and the more I put it back on that table, the less it will adhere to that table. The same is true with marriage. The more I rip a marriage apart and try to get together with somebody else, the less sticky that marriage is. In a book called Sacred Marriage, there's a guy by the name of Gary Thomas, and he notes that there are trees in Washington State's northern Cascades that are hundreds of years old. And a matter of fact, there is one particular tree that's 700 years old. Now, typically, forests experience damaging fires every 50 or 60 years. And they fall to not only forest fires, but disease and drought and sometimes things like lightning. And so these particular trees, to get to the point where they're living for 700 years is unbelievable. Now, the reason the trees in North Cascades live so long is because there is the drenching rains that is constantly falling on them. And whenever lightning strikes these trees, whenever a fire may even get started, they're put out because of these drenching rains. 
And I think this is a great picture of a marriage that is based on constant reconciliation. You know, if a couple is going to be married for a long time, and I'm not talking about being roommates, I'm talking about living in intimacy as a man and a woman for the long term. Strong marriages can be attacked and will be attacked. Listen, if you know somebody's been married for a long time, don't fall into the lie that they didn't have the pressures that you had, that they didn't have the temptations that you had. They got really good at something that maybe you're lacking at. You had two people that were constantly involved in reconciliation, two people that were constantly forgiving one another. Whenever communication problems came, whenever temptation came, whenever unrealized expectations came, these marriages were heavily watered with an unwavering commitment to please God and forgive one another. Two people that have learned to drench their marriage with a lot of forgiveness. So we kind of got off track a little bit there, but we know that marriage and sex is sacred. You know, there's something else that's sacred? Life. And we're going to dive deeper into this in today's broadcast and tomorrow's broadcast. But in Genesis 1, verse 27, it says that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female created he them. Now, when I think about being created in the image of God, maybe the best way to explain this is that God's fingerprint is on me. I am not God, but I'm created in his image. Uh, Last Sunday, as I was uh, enjoying our worship service, uh, my daughter-in-law is on our worship team. And I was about 30 feet away from her as she was singing. And so I kind of saw the side of her as she was singing. And uh, as she's singing, I says, my, uh, she looks exactly like her mom. Now, I know she's not her mom, but she's got her mom's image. And when I was watching her sing, I said, she looks just like her mom. And uh, she has her mom's image because her mom and dad created her. And now she's not her mom, but she has that image. The same is true with us. God made humankind, and he alone has given us life. So life is very sacred because we are created in God's image. And moreover, life is also sacred because human beings are all made in the image of God. God created us in his own being, created us in his own image. You see, human beings, in other words, are more than superior animals. They're not merely uh, like souped up apes. (laughs) We're much more than that. Humanity is distinct from every other part of created order in that we have uniquely And we have ever-living spirits that are fashioned in the likeness of our Creator. I have a dog, and his name is Gilbert. And Gilbert is a a wonderful dog. He is a a cream-color golden retriever. And he's kind of, um, well, uh, he's kind of dopey, shall we say, or derpy. I mean, he just, his head bobbles. But he's such a loving dog. Now, I love my dog, right? But I have never sat down with my dog and says, now, Gilbert, Have you ever considered why you are here on the planet Earth? We've never had a conversation about the purpose of life. We've never had a conversation of what he should be accomplishing with his life or how he should be living his life. He's just living his life. Somebody told me dogs spend about 80% of their time sleeping. I mean, he's not worried about what he's supposed to accomplish. Uh, He's 
getting his sleep and uh, just hanging around. And uh, and he's a lovely dog. And I'm so thankful for that unconditional love of my dog. But you know what? We as humans are not on the same level as our dogs, as animals. You see, in Psalm 8.5, it says, you have made man a little lower than the heavenly beings, and you've crowned him with glory and honor. God has crowned us with glory and honor. Because of these realities, human life is very precious, and God takes very special measures to protect human life. You think about the account of Noah's flood, for instance. We learn that the reason God brought judgment on the earth uh, it was very clear, Genesis 6, 11 and 12, God brought judgment on the earth, and it was because the earth was all filled with violence. All flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. So when Noah leaves the ark, God makes this command. God gives a command, and he gives a judgment for anyone who would take another person's life. This is what he says. Look, from his fellow man... I require a reckoning life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Now that's Genesis chapter 9, going back to Genesis chapter number 1. Now this is really interesting when you think about this passage because this was actually the beginning of human government. God says, do not shed the blood of man. By man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. And so murder is a violation of God's image. And he knows that life is of intrinsic value. And so God seeks to protect it in every way. That's why he established human government. And we have a fuller understanding from Romans chapter 13, what human government is supposed to do. Do you know that God's idea of human government has got two purposes? Two reasons for existence. Number one is to reward good. That's what the government is supposed to do. We reward you for doing the right thing. Number two, it's to punish evil so that we don't become a bunch of vigilantes and take the law in their own hands. Now, I know that a human government is far more involved in our lives than just those two things. And sometimes they don't get it exactly right because it is comprised of humans. It's just like the church. The church is not perfect. Uh, We have a perfect plan laid out for us as to how the church should operate. But the church, because it's run by humans, is a little bit on the flawed side, shall we say. So when we look at the sacredness of life, life is sacred because we are created in the image of God. We also learn that marriage and sex is sacred. But there's something else that is also sacred. Race is sacred. Acts chapter 17 says, From one man he made all the nations, all the people groups, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Now, I don't have a whole lot of time to develop this, but I want you to know that God created the human race And if you're part of the human race, your life is sacred, regardless of the pigment color of your skin, that is totally irrelevant. You are sacred, and God has brought you into the human race, and we're actually brothers and sisters on a human level. Now, I'm not talking about all of us are going to go to heaven because we're part of the human race, but I want you to know that Christ made available salvation for everyone. 
to the Jews first, but also unto the Gentiles. It's available to all. That's the wonderful thing about salvation. God makes it possible for every Jew and every Gentile, and it doesn't matter what nationality you are. It's for every nation, every people group, every ethnicity is sacred because we were created by God. I could develop that a little deeper because of time. I'm going to move on to the last point as to what else is sacred. And, you know, this list could be one of these uh, lists that continue on and on and on. I wanted to kind of highlight some of the things that our culture has really ripped away from us when it comes to matters of what is sacred. Freedom. Freedom is sacred. Galatians 5, Paul says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. And then he reminds us that we should stand firm because we have been set free. Don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. And on on Wednesday nights, we're doing a wonderful study of the Old Testament, and we're looking kind of at the book of Exodus, where the nation of Israel has been set free from Egyptian bondage. Now, we have found something interesting about this study, that it was quite easy for God to free them from Egyptian bondage. That wasn't too hard of a task. I mean, 10 plagues, and uh, within a matter of weeks, they are set free. The difficulty wasn't getting Israel out of Egypt. The difficulty was getting Egypt out of Israel. They kept looking back, longing for those days when they were enslaved. When they came up against the Red Sea, for example, they cried out to Moses and said, listen, Were there no tombs? Were there no graves in Egypt? Why have you brought us out here to die? We could have died there. And they constantly were looking back to their life in Egypt. And then when they get hungry, they said, what, have you brought us out here to starve Moses? And God provides manna. And then they get thirsty, and they started complaining. Uh, And then God provides for them water. Uh, You see, it took 40 years for God to get Egypt out of the Israelites. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You see, God is a Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, it's not freedom to sin. It is freedom from sin. I gave you Galatians 5.1, but let me also give you Galatians 5.13, where Paul says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You see, freedom is sacred. Even our founding fathers understood the significance of being free, that God has given us certain inalienable rights. And one of them is this pursuit of happiness and this freedom to enjoy what God has given us. Paul says, We were called to freedom, but we're not to use this freedom as an opportunity to indulge the flesh. And unfortunately, this is where we are, right? Our culture says, I'm free to do whatever I want. No, Paul says, freedom is so sacred that God gives us this freedom so that we can love one another and we can serve one another. In other words, I am set free from this enslavement to sin not so that I can self-indulge myself, but so that I can be a blessing to others, so that I can serve others. Peter even carries on this idea when he says that we're to live as people 
who are free. Not using our freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Jesus drives home this point when he says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Listen, if Jesus sets you free, there is a sacredness to that freedom. Don't go back to living that lifestyle of sin. You have been set free. Well, let's focus on what does it mean to be one who is pro-life? It means I'm for life because life is sacred. Well, I want you to join me tomorrow as we're going to give four reasons as to why you should be pro-life. But by way of introduction, I'm going to kind of give you the introduction today. So I'm hoping that you join me tomorrow as I give these four reasons why I'm pro-life. Let me talk to you quickly about some facts about pregnancy. Now, this may not be anything new to you, but it's part of understanding the sacredness of life. Within four weeks after fertilization, four weeks after the sperm is united with the egg, the baby's eyes and the limbs are developing, and their heart can be viewed on an ultrasound scan. You know, it's amazing what they could do with ultrasounds. 30 years ago, our firstborn child, Tyler, was born. As my wife was carrying him, we went and we had an ultrasound. Now, this is before they had the uh, 3D ultrasounds that they have today. But even back then, when my wife was about 20 weeks along, I remember going there and, and seeing on the ultrasound I could see that there was definitely a baby born. I could see his arms. I could see his leg. I could, I could see his head. And I could actually see his heart beating. At 10 weeks, a preborn baby's brain is growing rapidly. And get this even at 10 weeks, a preborn baby is producing 250,000 neurons every minute. By 14 weeks, a preborn baby has developed enough coordination to actually suck her thumb or or his thumb. Studies have concluded that a 20-week-old, and maybe even earlier than 20 weeks, a pre-born baby can begin to feel pain. Today, a pre-born baby as young as 22 weeks can survive outside the womb. I actually have some friends who had a baby that was born at 23 weeks, one pound, six ounces, and today... This young lady is 22 years old. One in four women, and this is a sad fact, will have an abortion by the age of 45. Now, I don't have any reason to doubt that fact. And because that is true, we probably have somebody listening to me right now who has had an abortion. I want you to know that God is able to bring about forgiveness. You know, the majority of women who receive abortions, uh, 23 to 25% do so because they feel the timing is wrong, or they can't financially provide for their child. A very small percentage of women, less than half percent, get an abortion because they have conceiving this child because of a rape. Uh, Listen, I want you to know that even if you are in a terrible situation, the sanctity of life, God loves that child. About 4% of women who receive abortions do so because of health-related 
issues. Now, I know this is a very sensitive subject, and so I hope that you will join me tomorrow, and I'm going to talk to you about four reasons why I'm pro-life. And we're going to look at the biblical reasons. We could get more into the scientific and the biology of conception and birth, and all that is important. Uh, But as I look at the Word of God, there's four reasons why I am pro-life. We're going to be looking at Psalm 139. Now listen, because this is such a sensitive subject, maybe you need some encouragement. If I can pray for you, I would be honored to pray for you. Shoot me a text at 252-267-2365, and I'll be glad to call you back. I'll pray with you right over the phone. As I was driving over here this morning, I was praying with somebody over the phone. I said, I'm going to put you on speakerphone, and I'm going to pray for you right now. And I would be honored to pray for you because prayer changes things. Prayer can change my heart. Prayer can change my direction. Listen, God is able to hear our prayers, and He cares deeply for us. So shoot me a text. If you have a prayer request you'd like me to add to our prayer list, I'll be happy to add that to our prayer list. And on Thursday morning, I promise you, I have a team of people that will be praying for you personally. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. The number again is 252-267-2365. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining in the broadcast today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.